Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Mark 10, starting with verse 32, and the last time we spoke about the rich young ruler and really his heart idols. You know, like I said before, people think, well, gee, I'm not rich, so this doesn't apply to me. It really has nothing to do with riches. That was this man's particular heart idol that was preventing him from moving forward with the Lord. And I've said this before that heart idols can, it, it really things that we trust in in the world, they could even be innocuous by themselves. But what happens is we put our trust in them instead of our trust in the Lord. And if someone's not a believer, heart idols can keep a person from really following the Lord. Uh, and if we are a believer, heart idols can keep us from making a full commitment to the Lord. It's almost as if, you know, we can live 10, 20, 30, 40 years as a Christian and bear very little fruit and just say, I just want to get into heaven. And that really shouldn't be the goal as a believer. Today we're going to speak about Jesus having to repeat things to his disciples. Uh, and I got to tell you, as a new believer, in my sanctimonious attitude, I would read about the disciples and go, look at these guys. But as I start to actually grow in the faith, I realize they're no different than me. He had to reiterate things to them. He had to repeat things to them. He had to retrain them. He had to re-disciple them. And we're going to see those subjects, whether it's about going to the cross, which we're going to cover this morning, or about greatness. This is like the third time that I can remember that Jesus has to have this discussion with them. And all through it, all through what's going on, you know, Jesus didn't say, hey, I need a moment. I'm, I'm going to the cross. It's all about me. We still see him at the end of the chapter healing two blind men. So this was the Lord Jesus. You know, we can never go wrong when we say, well, this is who Jesus is. I want to be like him. I want to emulate him because that's what we're supposed to do as believers. So we're going to jump in with verse 32. It says, now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was going before them. He was ahead of them, and they were amazed, probably at his strength and his resolve, knowing what's going to happen. And as they followed, they were afraid. <laughs> so they probably thought, too, you know, Jesus is a wanted man. The religious leaders hate him. The Herodians hate him. The Romans hate him, and we're hanging out with him. So they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Now let's put this in context. What we covered the last time was Jesus finishes teaching about the rewards for those who are ministers, who follow the Lord. Now when I use that word, I'm going to clarify it again. Every single person in this room has, if you're a believer, God has given us spiritual gifts. 
You know, and in prayer, we, or through mentor discipleship, we learn those spiritual gifts, and we minister to others. Whether it's a male or a female, we do ministry. Right? We're to bear fruit, the Bible says. Right? So Jesus speaks about the rewards, but he also speaks about tribulations, and you don't hear that in some of the teachings in Christianity. They kind of omit that part. But tribulations do come in addition to the rewards on this side of eternity. The reality of the crucifixion is closing in fast. Jesus now goes into incredible detail where before he spoke generally. Luke 18, again, love to pull from the different Gospels. In Luke 18, Luke makes it clear that what Jesus said was specifically prophesied in the Old Testament. All, right, all the things that Jesus spoke about. Right? Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, he went through many of these. Okay, so that's important to understand where that, that foundation, where that framework comes from. And I've got to tell you, I love the parallels between, look at, think about this. You know, the disciples were with Jesus. God in the flesh, the Lagos, the living word. Everything out of Jesus' mouth was divine. It was perfect. And they get to ask him all, all questions day and night, like little kids, just asking him, asking him. And he would reveal things to them. But we also have access to the throne of God, the Bible tells us, right, in Hebrews 4. We can go at any time and just stop what we're doing and just look up to the heavens and just start talking to God, and he hears us. He never has an answering machine. He never puts us in a phone loop. He's always available for us night and day, no matter when that may be. And what I love about what I'm reading here is what I've called unfolding revelation or incremental revelation. So what do I mean by that? Well, at times when God speaks to us in prayer, he's crystal clear. He gives details. Sometimes we even get a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, things we would never have known except for the divine giving it to us. Other times, he starts out vague and then starts to make things clearer over time. The best example I can think about in the Bible is Abraham. Get up out of your country from your kindred. Go to a place I'm going to show you. Abraham, start walking. <laughs> get your stuff together. Let's go. Where am I going? I'm going to show you. And over time, God unfolded his revelation for Abraham. Now, what's even amazing is when Abraham died, he still didn't see the full scope and the full clarity of the promises he was going to make through him and through his progeny. So there's a perfect example. I have to tell you, in the last week, I've spoke to a few people, looking around, about this particular subject. Uh, whether it's a, a missions trip or a, a mission field or whatever the case may be, God has given you a basic idea and understanding of what he wants you to do and then over the weeks and months that follow it starts to become clearer so there's a real life application today the problem we get into and we have to be careful is not to force it to a conclusion if god says wait then we wait when we get ahead of god and try to put it to a conclusion we can mess the whole thing up and that's really important for us to understand i'm going to come back to that but whether it's the disciples, or us, why does God give us at times this unfolding or incremental revelation? I'm just going to throw two reasons out there that are biblical. The first one is that we or they might not be ready for the full brunt of what God has planned for us or what others will do to us. Now, I use myself as an example because um, sometimes people think that we in ministry and our wives, we just kind of, everything's wonderful for us all the time, and that's not the case. We're human beings just like you. We go through tribulations just like you. And I remember when the Lord had called uh, me and my family into ministry to be the senior pastor uh, about 10 years ago, of 
Calvary Chapel Crossfields, uh, honestly, if he would have showed me all the things that we would have dealt with in the first few years, we would have said no. Right, hon? <laughs> Remember Jonah? <laughs> so I'm just being straight with you. We have a lovely church today, but the last pastor, he cultivated, you know, he actually recruited some quite ungodly people to do his bidding, uh, and it just was not pretty the first few years. My pastor had to talk me through a lot of things and tell me not to quit. But if I would have seen it all together, I might have said, no way, I'll just live like every other Christian, just do whatever I want and just get to heaven at the end. But, you know, I'm just, it's, I'm just being honest with you. You know, I, I like to be transparent from the pulpit to show you that I'm no better than any of you sitting here. This is just my calling. So, whether we or the disciples, we might become Jonah's, all of us, if God... And, and i got to tell you, I, don't, I have no regrets because, you know, God has really done an awesome thing with this church. The building and, and the people, and it's just been such a... In the community, it's been a blessing. So, you know, sometimes you've got to get through the difficult things to get through the really fruitful and, and good stuff, right? The second reason why God may give us this unfolding or incremental revelation is because it's another way for the Lord to keep us close to him. Think about this. You know, I like itineraries. I would love it if I'd say, you know what, God, I'm not even worthy. Don't even send yourself or an angel. Send me a, a heavenly robot. Have him come down here. Give me like a Word document of what I need to do for the next five or ten years. I, you know, it, it's, it's hard to live by faith. But I've got to be honest with you, if he did that, I might not be close to him. And again, I'm being honest with you. If God gave us the five-year plan in great detail, we might not seek him daily. But he wants us to seek him daily because it is a relationship that we have with the living God. Now, I remember when my wife and I got married, uh, we were new believers. On our wedding cake, we had Psalm 119.105 that said, God, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. Now today we have these fancy flashlights and they're rechargeable and they're LEDs and they're blinding, you know, the stingers and the pocket flashlights. But back then, their lamps were very simple. They were a, a ceramic device with oil and a wick or um, some type of fuel and, and a wick. And, you know, when they would walk, and it was, there was no street lights, right, back then, no electricity, uh, they needed to see where they were going. So they would use these lamps and the, the psalm is an amazing thing because it just shows how technology has changed. You could only see a few feet in front of you. So that was the perfect analogy about God's word. He doesn't illuminate the path for the next five to ten years, but what he does do is he shows us what we need to do and we need to understand daily. And then we walk with him as a result of that. Now perhaps the disciples weren't fully understanding what Jesus was saying because they were riding the high too much of the crowds. You know, the people loved Jesus in a sense. You know, they followed around, and that can bring a euphoria. So Jesus now keeps giving them this bad news of, of the crucifixion. They're a little confused, because it really doesn't go with the popularity. You could almost say that they could, in their eyes, Jesus, in, in a sense, was a populist. He had the people's, you know, affections, so to speak. But he didn't come as a political person. He came to save us spiritually, not physically or politically. And sometimes we prefer to make our own reality instead of facing actuality. And I think that's what got the disciples in trouble. It's a dangerous place to be, whether for them or for us. Now, what I like to do is I like to make 
sermons interactive. It, it does you no good if I tell you a story about something that really happened 2,000 years ago and then I just send you home. You know, I think we need to stop at this moment. See, the disciples had their issues. They had to listen to Jesus. They had to let it sink in. They had to, you know, be of one mind with him. And they, they failed in a lot of ways. But as I look at this and we look at incremental revelation and the Lord showing us things over time, what is it in our lives that the Lord may be trying to get our attention with? What comes to the front of your mind? Everyone's an individual. You know your dealings with the Lord. You know your prayer life. You know even things that you, you, you're having a hard time getting over. We could look at hard idols like the rich young ruler. Is there anything in our lives that we're relying on or that's getting in the way or our affections are, are fixed on that keeps us from really making a full commitment to the Lord? Right? Second one is obedience. Right? Sometimes, listen, the Christian walk is a walk of obedience. I know it's, it's hard for American culture because you know, we're free people. You know, we started in freedom, and we're still fighting for our freedoms. But the truth is, when it comes to God, we need to be obedient. Right? There's an obedience issue there. And the third thing I can look at or think about is trust. What are we not trusting in? You know, maybe we're trusting in people and relationships more than we're trusting in the Lord. Maybe the Lord wants to send us out and do something, but we keep hanging on to this relationship, and if this person doesn't go or this person doesn't come with me, I'm not going to do that. That's disobedience. Or maybe there's a trust issue when it comes to things that we're really struggling with. It could be addictions. It could be some issue that we're not completely giving the Lord our trust and letting him make the difference in our life. Sometimes we complain, but really we need to open the door of our heart more to let him in more, to let him work more in our lives. You know, he, he's not going to fight with us if we, we really don't want to do it. He'll often give us over to our own ways, and that puts us into more trouble uh, than anything else. Verse 35. Then James and John, two of the disciples, these guys were up at the Mount of Transfiguration not too long ago. They got to see some pretty amazing things. You know, maybe there was a pride issue there. But James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. <laughs> Talk about chutzpah, right? If you think about it, put this in context, Jesus was just talking about going to the cross. Jesus was just talking about being abused. Right? He, was, he, he was fully man and fully God, and they were his companions, and they got to aggravate him. You know, that's just my interpretation of this. What James and John did was insulting, it was inappropriate, and it was highly insensitive. Right? For somebody that they got to know for three plus years, not only as their God, but their companion. You know, as Christians, sometimes we can be a little self-absorbed and self-centered and end up here. And it's an embarrassing place to be. I mean, let's, let's think about our own lives. You know, I've been in the seat, in the seat that you don't want to be in, because I've been self-absorbed or self-centered, and I've gotten the talk, <laughs> Right? And if you've been a Christian long enough, hopefully you've sat in the seat and had the talk because it strengthens us. It's not to hurt us, it's to help us to grow. Now when we take Matthew's gospel into account, as I looked at all the gospels, we find that it wasn't just James and John who were here, but James and John's mother, Salome, was with them. 
And she was part of the dialogue. Let my son sit here. And I have to tell you, I just have to stop for a moment and say that every time I read this, I can't help it coming from an Italian background. I almost think that she had a little Italian in her or something. But, you know? Hey, Jesus, my boys are special. Those ten, forget about it. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> I can say that I'm full Italian. <laughs> and I've seen it. Uh, so I think a much better response on their part would have been, Lord, you've done so much for us, how can we minister to you? But you know what? I don't see that in Scripture in any of the Gospels. I don't see that coming across their mind and their thoughts or their actions. At least it's not recorded. And you've got to give the, disciple cred the disciples credit for writing about themselves and chronicling their own failures. Okay? But praise God, after the cross... After the giving of the Holy Spirit, things changed. And they become amazing men, right? And, and ladies that were involved too, right? And we, we read the accounts before and after. It's, it's impressive. And that's one of the marks of being a real Christian is a changed life. These guys had a changed life. And it was a wonderful thing to see because Jesus, when he left bodily, he left them in charge of of, you know, kind of, Jesus put the foundation of the church, but he had them to structure and organize and to lead, uh, and they needed to get, get it right and get mature. But I have to tell you that there is a, a trend in church today, I'm going to go through a few trends before we close, of people who were takers, who were users, who were consumers. I actually read a great article about consumerism in the church as if we go to a Chevy or a Toyota dealership to kick the tires when we go to church or you know, check the wiper blades. That's not what we go to church for. We go to church to be a part of the church, to use our spiritual gifts to grow the church. And I couldn't find the article, so I was in my office and I, I search engine consumerism in the church and all these articles came up. So obviously it's a thing that a lot of pastors are discussing. Discussing, right? Freudian slip there. <laughs> But the bottom line is that, you know, we can get into that spirit. Now, I don't mean somebody that comes to the church, listen, we always want to help people financially. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the attitude where people come into the church, it's all about them. It's what I want. It's what I want to see. And, and they're scrutinizing the worship and they're scrutinizing the message. You know, we're, listen, we're not here to see a play or a show. We're here to be a part of the body of Christ. Consumerism is a, is a current scourge on the church. It's not normal, it's not helpful, and it's not healthy. And it actually has helped to close the churches or the doors of some churches. So it's something to, cons something to consider. Now if I step back for a minute and I, and I play defense attorney for the disciples, I'm going to read you a scripture that maybe they, uh, a teaching that Jesus gave them that they might have misinterpreted. So we're going to jump to Matthew 19.28, it's only one verse. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. What I think they did was, and I'm just speculating here, they allowed their understanding of a future dispensation, of a time of glory, of a, of a different, of millennial kingdom, whatever the case may be, they let that cloud there here and now. So they, they kind of looked at that and they thought, well, gee, you know, it's like the military. You know, I'm going to be a general and I'll be a lieutenant. 
But again, Jesus has had this discussion a few times with them. Now, let's go back to that time period. The disciples might have looked at the Roman military, the government, and you know, we, we still, in America, thousands of years later, a lot of our jurisprudence system and military structure and tactics come from the old Greek and Roman system, believe it or not. Right? So for their time, it was very impressive. Uh, a manly guy like these guys, they were fishermen, they were rough guys, they could look and see the Romans marching in formation. They could see the, the, um, the phalanx formation, which was unbeatable, the turtle formation, where they could ride chariots over the men with their uh, shields up atop over their heads. Very, very impressive. But they got the wrong impression. See, that's man's way. That's not God's way. War and military and police and you know, jurisprudence system is necessary now, but it won't be necessary later on. It's a totally different dispensation. And God's world, that he, his, his church that he establishes on earth must be different. And it's hard. It's hard. Now we see that in the prisons with uh, some preaching a, 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 a strong form of Islam is attractive to the prisoners because it's about strength. It's about protecting yourself. And then the preachers come in and, sp and speak about turning the other cheek and forgiving and that's a lot harder to do, especially when you're in a prison environment and you're vulnerable. Nobody ever said that Jesus, what he asked us to do, would be easy. Even for those of us on the outside, to do those things are very difficult. So the disciples might have had the wrong impression of the structure that God has. Okay? So I just want to give you that little uh, background. And I tell you, some pastors, denominations, and ministries, they wield so much wealth, power, and influence that you wonder, did they fully understand what Jesus said? Amassing fortunes, armies, and it, it's kind of, I just don't see it in Jesus' teaching. Verse 38. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Can you drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we can. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, now remember the ten other ones, you could imagine they weren't happy, uh, they began to be greatly displeased, which is an understatement when you look at the Greek, with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. That hits a nerve in American culture and a lot of cultures. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Powerful talk. Now James and John eventually evoke a jealousy with the other ten, which was certainly not helpful to the ministry, especially since Jesus was going to the cross soon and they needed to be a cohesive group. But, you know, that spirit is alive and well today. Again, um, another trend in the church is the CEO trend, where a person comes into the church and says, I'm, I'm accomplished. Look at all my degrees. Look at all this. And that's not a bad thing. And then they come into the church and they want to run things. They want to lord it over people. Well, listen, I ran a Fortune 500 company, so this is how we're going to do it in the church. It, it, you can't compare apples and oranges. And sometimes it can be a detriment. 
I prefer actually to be alongside shoulder to shoulder with somebody who's green or a novice, right, who maybe has little accomplishments but they have the right heart, than next to somebody who's very accomplished and has, is overly ambitious. We saw that in Joab, didn't we, when we covered First uh, and Second Samuel? He was very accomplished, but his heart was not right. Eventually he's executed because he, um, he did a lot of bad things. And then eventually he tries to go with Adonijah and put his weight in and undo God's plan for Solomon as the king. Right? So that's something to consider. So let's look at the cup and the baptism. I think this is, well, what's the cup of suffering? Being baptized in sufferings. Now how does this jive with positive confession? Right? The name it and claim it group. Because I don't know, I don't think they ever read this portion of scripture. The cup of suffering, the baptism of suffering. And Jesus was spot on with James and John because James was one of the first Christian martyrs. He drank the cup of suffering. Herod had him executed. And John the Bapt- or, uh, John, excuse me, the disciple was actually baptized in sufferings because literally they tried to kill him by different methods. They tried to martyr him. Uh, Christian history tells us that he was dunked in a vat of boiling oil. It, it hurt him, it wounded him, but it didn't kill him. So he literally was baptized and, and James drank the cup. It's amazing the, the extent of uh, prophecy that the Lord had. You, know, his, you can see that he's fully divine. But at the end of the conversation, what happened? Selfish ambition is a work of the flesh. We know the fruits of the Spirit, right? Selfish ambition is one of the works of the flesh. Because of their selfish ambition, they got, or they, they, what they wanted, they didn't get. The greatness the way they were looking for it. But they did get what they weren't asking for, which was the other disciples being jealous and the promise of a hard road in ministry. So this is what James and John end up getting. Now, if we parallel selfish prayers today, because that's what we do at times, right? If you're listening to that prosperity teaching, all your prayers are selfish. I want money. I want health. I want happiness. You sound like like a three-year-old. You know, I want, I want, I want. They teach you to pray selfish things. Storm the kingdom, storm the throne room, and demand in faith, and God will give it to you. I've said before, he's not our celestial Santa Claus. It doesn't jibe with what the scripture says. Jesus said all of his followers, including us, would go through the same hardships that he did if we were truly following the message that God had given. It's truly giving the gospel. The world doesn't want to hear the gospel. And I think sometimes we have to look in the mirror and say, gee, I am accomplished. We're all accomplished in some way, but how does that affect how I serve? Am I bringing it one for one, or do I want to be humble and just, you know, see what the Lord will do? When I, when I became a pastor, I was a police officer for a few years, trained in a lot of different disciplines, and I knew how to handle myself. I knew how to handle crisis situation. And when I became a pastor, I realized I couldn't jump on everything because when I jumped... It would mess it up. So what I had to find out real quickly was that world had to be put aside, and I, now I was a baby all over again learning a whole different world, how God's economy works. And it was hard to do. It's really hard to do. Some of you are very highly educated. Right? And sometimes it's hard to, to just put that aside for a moment and be like a child and ask the Lord, receive what he's trying to tell you in the way that he wants to do it. Not an easy thing to do, but it's something that we're called to do. The bottom line is this, real ministry is designed to benefit the ministry, not the minister. Let me say that again, real ministry is designed to benefit 
the ministry, not the minister. We are only tools in the master's hands. Cover a few other things. He says in verse 45 that he came to be a ransom for many. Now, a ransom, if somebody was imprisoned or a slave, there was a ransom price, right, that you had to pay to free that person. Otherwise, that person was continually shackled, continually had no freedom. But you know what? I kind of think of the world today. If there's a kidnapping or somebody wealthy, there's what they call a ransom note. Similar thing. If you give us the $10,000, we'll free your loved one. Otherwise, they're staying with us. Right? Hard things to talk about. But you have to remember, before the cross, we are shackled to sin. Some of us are having, I tell you, I had a blast sinning. And I was, I was going all the way down the wide path to the, the, the fiery lake. That's where I was headed had God not stopped me. So we don't even know. We got these shackles on and they, they're, they're nice. You know, they're, they're lined uh, very comfortably. We don't even feel that they're on us. But what Jesus did was he paid the price so that we wouldn't have to be shackled to sin anymore and we wouldn't have to face God in judgment and then be judged eternally for our sins. So he was the ransom. You know, he was the... The, the price that was paid so that we could be freed. And all we have to do is look to the cross and trust in what Jesus did because the price is paid and we are freed from that life of bondage. We get to go to heaven as heirs and sons and daughters, right? Not standing before him in the judgment. Sins were paid for. Sins I'm going to commit tomorrow, next year, if I'm around the next 10 years. He paid for those sins as well. Pretty impressive. Now we're going to cover with, um, we're going to actually end about uh, this last healing, and then we're going to jump next Sunday into chapter 11. So the last few verses, in verse 46, it says, Then they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still, stood still, and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise, he is calling you. Aren't, isn't the crowd fickle? You know what I'm saying? We see this all the time. Oh, the Messiah, triumphal entry. And a few days later, crucify him. Right? Maybe some of the supporters, like you see in the movie, were kept out, but... I also think this is what the world is like. You know, even our politicians, they, they run their lives through popularity polls. You'll see they'll make decisions and then when the heat gets too heavy, they'll flip-flop in their principles and they'll change and they'll, they'll change course. But we can do that too. And you know what? Unfortunately, a lot of Christianity does that too. This preacher says this. That preacher said that. We're going back and forth. But what we need to do is go back to the Scripture and see where the foundation is. Is it sound? Is it structural? Spiritually. So, hey, he likes you. Come on, you know, um, rise. He's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, or my great one, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. There are some really great parallels 
that we can look at here. Five points of perspective that we're going to cover and then we're going to close. But going to Matthew's gospel, Matthew records two blind men. Not uncommon. We, we read about ten lepers at one point. And this is what would happen if you were a leper so you wouldn't infect the other community and everybody wouldn't become lepers. They had leper communities. So the lepers wouldn't be uncommon to find ten of them in, in the same spot. And same thing with the blind men. You know, we didn't, they didn't have the safeguards and the uh, social programs that we have today. So you, hopefully you had somebody that cared for you, but if not, you would hang out with other blind people and you would try to find your way around. You would help each other. Really kind of sad, and it really evokes your, your emotions when you understand what society was like back then. It doesn't say that God approved of it. It's just the way Roman culture was. Now, you're you depended on generosity and compassion from others. You know, you would put your cloak out, your garment, and then people would put money in it or food or whatever, and then at the end of the day, you'd collect what you had and, and you'd put your cloak back on, and this is what you did. It was your begging cloak. Okay? So when you go and actually read what happens culturally, it's fascinating. The pages of the Bible really open up. But let's look at this. Verse 48. You could not keep this guy quiet about wanting the Lord. No matter how many people around him told him, basically, shut up. And he wasn't going to shut up. You see, this guy has an amazing enthusiasm for the Lord. He's excited. He, he hears about it. And he, you know, he hear, so he's just excited about the Lord, and, and he won't shut up. And sometimes you see extremes in the church. Maybe those that are whipped up into a false frenzy, self-caused, self-caused emotionalism. Maybe it's not really of the Lord. Maybe it's, we, we can whip ourselves up into any type of frenzy. On the other extreme, maybe those that go to a Bible-believing church for a long time, but they go for different reasons. There's really no enthusiasm or real desire for God. And that's sad. For those of us that are in, in denominations that really preach the, the Bible, are we excited for the Lord? Is there an enthusiasm? And people say this, oh, Pastor Joe, I love your enthusiasm. This isn't, I do this when I'm out of the pulpit. You know what I'm saying? I'm just excited for the Lord. But everybody has that ability and responsibility, especially knowing what the Lord has done for us on the cross. So where is our fire for the Lord? Did we lose it on the road to life 10 years ago? I talked to somebody not that long ago. Poof, gone. Because he was looking for this certain success and he got it. And he got all this success. And the things of God are pushed to the side. I love when people are honest with me. It's an awesome thing. But... Where is your enthusiasm? Did you lose it on the road to success? Did you lose it on the road to tribulation? Do you have that enthusiasm? You know? So, again, where is our fire for the Lord? Because we need not shut up as believers about the Lord, especially the things that He's done for us. So, number one, that we shouldn't be keeping quiet about what God has done for us. That, that's a simple evangelism tool. Just sharing what the Lord has done for you. It starts somewhere, right? Building that bridge. Verse 47 and 48, Bartimaeus keeps addressing Jesus as either Rabboni or the son of David, which is a messianic term. He shows respect for the Lord. Many today in the modern church worship at the altar of the relatable God, and they sacrifice the reverential God, and that's a problem. Number two, we need to respect him. No matter how God makes himself relatable to us, he's still we still stand in awe. I tell you the truth, when we stand before the throne room, trust me, the coldest person, the most stoic person, there's, there's going to be movement there. 
I mean, I just read it in Revelation when we covered Revelation, and that's just words on a page. Where do we see it in real life? So number two, respect him. Going to verse 49, Jesus stands still and commands Bartimaeus to be called. Out of all the people in the crowd, Jesus focuses attention on this one man. Stops. All the noise, all the cheering, all the surrounding him. He stops and he focuses on Bartimaeus. Now as a blind man, he probably couldn't get close to Jesus. He probably would have got trampled. And all he could do was yell out. All he could do is use his voice. And hopefully the Lord heard him. But you know what? The Lord always hears our voice. The third point is, know that God is a personal God. For any person here, you walked in as your first time in the church, God is trying to reach you probably through this message. He loves you. He sent his, his son to die for your sins. God is a personal God. Number three. Now the crowd represents a world of souls that God loves, but a lot of them were there for the wrong reasons. And we've covered this before. Some of them were there for entertainment. Oh, it's just, I heard about this guy. He does tricks, you know. Watch real closely. Make sure he's not kind of deceiving us. And uh, he went on the internet and did that trick. Just pay attention. Watch this. It's going to get good. So number one, they, they looked at him for entertainment, right? Another thing they looked at Jesus for was a free meal or to get something out of him or to feel better, but not to have a relationship with the living God. Don't let the crowds deceive you in how they vote and how they say they like something. Don't look at the polls. Because the crowds are no different. We're no sophisticated as crowds today as we were 2,000 years ago. As a matter of fact, there's a criminology term called mob mentality. People do things almost as if they're under the influence of a drug when they're around 50 other people. And, and there might be nice people, but when it's just the euphoria of the crowd, they do things they normally wouldn't do. Some of it's criminal. I can't help it. The other thing keeps bleeding into the... I, forgive me for that. But I do see that in the crowds are a reflection a lot of times of the observable Western Christianity, which is devolving into a lot of things. But Bartimaeus stood out. So here's my question. Are you part of the crowd, the world, that thinks it sees because they have sight, but they're spiritually blind? Or are we like Bartimaeus, who appears to be blind, but knows enough to grope around in the darkness for the Lord? Right? If you were blind, you would... You, you could use some of your senses, obviously, but not your eyesight. He used his senses to grope around in the darkness to try to find the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 50. Bartimaeus throws aside his cloak. Again, the begging cloak was to collect things in. It was like their cup or whatever. They would you know, scoop it up at the end. But in faith, he decides he doesn't need it anymore. Now, he's not healed yet. Keep that in mind. He is not healed yet, but he throws aside his cloak. He doesn't need it anymore. See, the cloak represented the old life, or more specifically, something that the man relied upon. Remember what I said in the opening? Right? Trust issue, hard idols. Number four, are we discarding our old lives? When we come to the cross, so what some people do is they come to the cross and, yes, I trust you, Lord, there's lip service, there's an enthusiasm, but what happens is there's still other things, there's still a pack. There's still something hanging off your leg that you just haven't gotten rid of yet. You know? What are we still trusting in? Once we come to the cross, we don't really trust in anything else. We trust in Him. You know, He's a jealous God in the sense that He wants our full attention. Right? So, number four, have we put aside our old life? Have we put aside the things that we used to trust in? Because that can be a snare to growth. Some of us are still 
We're with the Lord. We're trusting in things in the world. We're with the Lord. We're trusting in relationships. And it's just, it's double-minded. That's the true, really, definition of bipolar. You're going back and forth from the spiritual to the temporal. And it, it's going to cause confusion and instability every time. Verse 52, Jesus gives Bartimaeus sight and tells him to go his way. <laughs> go your way. What does the man do? Leave? No. He follows Jesus, right? He follows Jesus. Remember the, the Gadarenes, the guy who was demon-possessed? Jesus had a plan for that guy. But he wanted to follow Jesus too. Oh, you've, I, I'm, I'm well. I, 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 I'm free. I'm not oppressed anymore. I want to follow you, Lord Jesus. Remember the ten lepers? They all left. One came back to thank the Lord. Where was the, grat where's the gratitude there? Oh, yeah, no more leprosy. Yay, let's go back to our old life. It's much like people today. Some come up to the altar and they make a, a, an emotional profession, but they don't understand the fact that it's a lifelong relationship. So the fifth point, how do we all not follow him? And I don't say this to be condemning. I say it to be exhortative. <laughs> and it's, there's, a, there's a nuance there. Are we following him? Oh yeah, I go to church on Sundays and I serve. No, 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 it's not what I asked. Are we following him? Are we really following him? Truly following him? I've got news to you. This world is done. You know, I was an, econ I can say this a few times, I was an economics major in, in college and I, this, it's bad. It's bad news. I'm not a, a prophet, but it didn't take a brain surgeon if you know a little bit of economics to predict the first crash. I didn't go on CNN, but I knew. I'm like, there's something's coming. I can just tell. I see what's going on with the Federal Reserve and a few other things, and um, we're going to crash. And we did. I got news for you. It's going to happen again. The dollar is going to become more devalued. Leadership in this country is a joke. It, it's so sad. It, this is a rudderless country. And I mean, I'm just not poking this on one person, okay? Um, the terrorists are taking over. We have... Uh, Drugs that are being flooded into our communities, making our young people sick. Some of them are dying. I've seen it. People ask me why I'm so intense, because I'm tired of seeing people die. You know, it, it kind of bothers me too when I know of people that have come forward and they went back into the world and they were overcome and they're dead, untimely death. It bothers me. I'm not mad, I'm sad. And I just, you know what, we need to rise up, people. You know, we need to sacrifice a few things that we're doing to really get in gear and say, what can I do for the Lord? How can I serve Him? How can I help somebody who's suicidal or addicted to drugs or is, is struggling in some way emotionally? You know, how can I be a part of their lives? We need to come out of ourselves. We do. That's part of following Him. It isn't just, I'm following Him. Okay, Lord, where do you want to go? I'll follow you. That's not following Him. Following Him is John 15. I am the, the vine. You are the branches. You can't get nourishment without Me. And guess what? When you get your nourishment from Me, Jesus says, you start bearing fruit. It's no, there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't bear fruit. It doesn't exist. It's a misnomer. You know, so what do we have to wait for? Were there anybody, was there any people on the Titanic while it was sinking that they were still partying? I don't know. Possibly. Oh, look, the water's going to, hey, have another drink. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? People are doing that in the world. They're, oh, Jesus, you know, interesting, intriguing. You, you piqued my curiosity. But let me go back to the world. That's a sinking ship. It's the Titanic, the world. 
It's going under and Jesus' kingdom is coming and it's coming soon. What more has to happen? All the prophecies have been lined up. All the countries in Ezekiel 38 and 39, they're hot spots, folks. We need to read our scriptures. You know, some of you might think I'm nuts. I'm a kook. That's okay. Because I know what the Bible says. And that's what I'm going to hang my hat on for eternity. So I just want to, I want to encourage you. Number one, if you don't know the Lord, make that commitment today to walk with Him, to follow Him, to be at His side in everything that He does, to guide your life. And if you are a Christian, come on, get reinvigorated, get into the game. The Lord's got work to do. He said, in, in, back in Chronicles, the Lord was looking to and fro across the face of the earth, looking for people. But it's filled with people. But he couldn't find that many people that were willing to help. In the New Testament, Jesus said, look, the harvest is white for the, for the harvest, but the laborers are few. It's the same thing today. He's looking. What's it going to take for us to get off of our complacent couch and get into the game? I want to encourage you. Believe me, it's encouragement. Trust me, it's, it's encouragement. <laughs> the blind man followed him. The Gadarene man wanted to follow him. Are we following him? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.